thank you, Connie and Randy, for sharing that, and also for leading uh, the music. I understand Tyler is a little under the weather uh, today, and hope he gets to feeling better soon. And uh, glad to see you in the Lord's house. Well, uh, it looks like we may get some rain this afternoon. We've been getting a little bit of rain, and if you live in South Georgia, you know that one thing that goes with rain is slippery clay roads. And, you know, it was one of my first driving lessons was uh, on a dirt road, and uh, you know, there's nothing more uh, treacherous than a hill, a downhill run on a South Georgia red clay road after a good rain has came. And if you know anything, the first thing you learn about navigating a red clay hill road when it's wet is that your brakes are not good. You know, normally brakes are good. You press the brake and you stop. Well, uh, the first thing you learn is that the quickest way to hit the ditch is to press your brake. And uh, so uh, today, this morning, we are in first, sorry, I'm sorry, second Samuel chapter 12 and chapter 11. We're going to start in chapter 11, second Samuel chapter 11. And it's a very sad part of the life of David. And I've titled the message, The Slippery Slope of Sin. The Slippery Slope of Sin. And we're going to see how David, who is really riding high, he's at the pinnacle uh, of his reign. He's defeated the enemies on every side. We just saw a wonderful picture last week of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who was crippled. And David remembered the friendship that he and Jonathan had and he wanted to show uh, some grace and some love to some member of Jonathan's family, and he searched out and found Mephibosheth, brought him into the palace, and there's that beautiful picture of grace where David brings in this crippled boy, Mephibosheth, and he says, from now on, you're going to eat at my table every day. You're going to have the best, and here are some of Saul's servants, the family of Ziba, and they used to serve your grandfather, and the rest of their life, they're going to be your servants. They're going to take care of you, and there's a wonderful picture, really a great comparison. We see that we're Mephibosheth in that story. We are crippled by sin and, and we are condemned. And yet God, uh, who David represents God in that story, through His grace, He brings us into the king's house and He makes us a part of the palace and gives us all the, the benefits of grace. So we, we saw that wonderful picture last Sunday just a couple of chapters back where David is, is picturing God in his grace and he's doing a wonderful thing. And then in the next couple of chapters, David defeats more of Israel's enemies and it's victory after victory after victory. Uh, and it just seems like, you know, David can't do anything but win. Everything's going his way. And then all of a sudden we turn to chapter 11 and it's kind of like a guy on a dirt road and, and he's running along fine, everything's going great, and he tops the hill and there below him is a red clay hill. And he doesn't have enough sense to slow down. He thinks, man, I've been, I've been going good. i got a four-wheel drive. Everything's great. i got these big tires. You know, I'm ready for anything. And he boogies on down that red clay hill road. And you know what awaits? Disaster. And that's exactly what happens to David. And remember, we shared as we began this study that when we go through the life of David, all of this is there to teach us a lesson. So when we read this story, we should take it to heart and take the lesson that sin is a very slippery slope. So let's begin and look 
at what happens with David. And first of all, you look in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and he walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. Now the first thing that we're going to see is sin's desire. First of all, the thing that we see about David, David was idle. He was idle. The Bible says that this was the time of the year when kings went out to battle. But you know, David, uh, he's kind of like us. At some point in our life, if we're not careful, we begin to feel a a certain sense of entitlement. Well, I've, I've put in my time. You know, I've, I've put in my time. It's time for me to sit back and rest a little. And David says, listen, I killed Goliath. I've been to battle more times than I can count. I've slain thousands of Philistines. I mean, I've went to war and I've fought and I've fought. I'm staying home this time. It's somebody else's turn, you know, to go out and fight the enemy. And that's exactly what David does. He stays at home and he's idle. Listen, one of the most dangerous things for you mentally, physically, and spiritually is to become idle, to have no purpose, to have nothing that you do, nothing that you feel responsible for. Now listen, it's okay to rest a little. Even Jesus went aside and and, and rested a while. You can't work yourself to death. But don't ever think that you're helping yourself when you absolve yourself of all responsibility and you don't feel like you have anything that you're supposed to do. God created us to have a purpose. He created us to be active. We all know it's better for us physically to be active. What happens when you go to the doctor or most of us? Are you exercising any? You need to lose a few pounds? You know, you need to get out there and walk? I mean, everyone knows that it's good for you to be physically active. Well, my friend, it is good for you spiritually to be spiritually active. You know, you, you cannot take your Christianity and put it on cruise control. It doesn't work that way. If you become idle in your faith, you're going you're gonna to slide. You're going to slide down. And listen, to be idle in your faith doesn't just mean that you stop coming to church. You can be coming to church teaching a Sunday school class and be on cruise control. You can be behind the pulpit and be on cruise control. You can sing specials every Sunday and be on cruise control. You know, you can just do things simply by habit and not really putting forth any spiritual effort. You're just, you're just going through the motions. And that's what David was doing. He was the king. Everything was under control. So he's idle and he's there and he's alone. Well, that's a recipe for disaster. You have nothing to do and you're by yourself. Two recipes for disaster. David is setting himself up. Well, the one thing he should have done was covered his eyes up, but he didn't do that. He was idle, he was alone, and he saw now, so far, David hadn't done anything wrong. He's up there on top of the, uh, uh, the palace, and uh, he's there, uh, you know, I guess you would say on, on maybe an upper part of the palace, maybe a tower. And, you know, it's a big city, and there's people everywhere, and I don't think he had any ill intent. He's just up there, just a beautiful view. And he looks, and lo and behold, among the tops of all the houses, there's a woman. And if it would have only been an ugly woman, but it wasn't an ugly woman. <laughs> He might could have stood it. 
But the Bible says she was very beautiful to behold. She was not an ugly woman. She was a beautiful woman. And there she is. And David, you know, he's like, what, what, did, what just happened? You know, and, and so again, David hasn't done anything wrong yet. He's idle and, and he's at home and he should have been off at battle, but he's there and he looks and there's this beautiful woman. And then he desired. He said, well, that's a beautiful woman. I, I'm going to ask about her. He didn't know who she was. So he inquired. He says, who is this woman? And then he gets his first warning. And someone says, well, that woman is Bathsheba. Her husband is Uriah the Hittite. He's one of your soldiers who's out in battle. Well, David should have, that should have been the end of it right there. He, he couldn't help, you know, going out on the palace balcony and seeing the woman. And he couldn't help thinking she was a beautiful woman. And, and he really hadn't done anything wrong to send a message and say, who, who is this woman? I, I'm interested in getting to know this woman. But when the word came back, well, that is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. That's when David should have stopped and said, okay, that is off limits, even for me, the king. Even though I could have any woman in the, in the country, even I can't have another man's wife. That woman, beautiful as she may be, is off limits for me. David could have stopped right there, and he, he could have stopped. He had the opportunity to stop. And I'm reminded uh, in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, where Paul says, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall." There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear or to overcome it. It's not a, it's not a sin to be tempted. I propose to you David hadn't done anything wrong up until the point when the person told him that is Uriah the Hittite's wife, and he made a decision, well, I'm going to go fetch her anyway. I'm going to have her brought to me at the palace anyway. That's when he made his, his sin. That's when he committed his sin. And he had an opportunity. There was an exit ramp before he got on the hill. He's coming up to the red clay hill. And there was an exit point. Exit here. When that guy told him, uh, she's Uriah's wife. That was his exit point. That was his opportunity to escape. But he, he blew past the exit. And he headed straight to the red clay hill. And lo and behold... He takes the red clay hill. He makes a decision to go and to bring Bathsheba, and he commits adultery with Bathsheba. So let's go through David's sins. First of all, he's on number two. First of all, he lusted, and then he committed adultery. So now, what is David going to do? Now, there's an interesting phrase that we might pass over here, and if we don't really understand the, the old English language, uh, there's that innocuous phrase, for she was cleansed for her, from her impurity. What that means in the language of the time, in the old English language, was that she had just had her monthly menstrual cycle. And she had just ended her menstrual cycle, and that was called in the Old Testament days her impurity. And she had went through the time of cleansing. That is like a little, a, a little message to you and I that are reading it, that her husband's away at war... So he's not home. So she's not pregnant by him. She's just had her menstrual cycle. So at the end of her menstrual cycle, she goes and she meets with the king and they lay together. And then we know if anything happens, we know who to blame. No DNA test required. We know who to blame. It's very simple. 
And so that's exactly what happens. The Bible says, And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, and said, I am with child. That's when David puts his foot on the brake for the first time, on the red clay hill. And he realizes that the brakes don't work on the red clay hill. He's on the red clay hill of sin. He puts his foot on the brake, and, the, and, and, and his, his vehicle doesn't stop. He keeps rolling. So David's got to make a decision. He tries to do a little evasive maneuver. So David sends to Joab. Now Joab's the commander of the army. And he says, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Well, now David didn't care how dirty Uriah's feet were. He had an ulterior, ulterior motive to send Uriah down to his house. But notice the Bible says, So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, said, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come home from a journey? Why do you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Boy, David hits a real curve here. He's beginning to slip and he's beginning to slide. He, he's trying to fix his problem. He's got a problem. And as we all perhaps have been on sin slippery slope before and we realize what we've got ourselves into a mess here and we start trying to get ourselves out of a mess. And, and so David went from lust to adultery. Now he's down to lying and deception. He's deceiving you, Rye. He's trying to make a plan. You know, go down to your house, you Rye. You're a good soldier. You know, go home and spend the night with your wife. Well, you Rye doesn't go. You Rye is a very loyal soldier. He says, listen, you know, I don't think it's right. All my, my comrades, all my brethren, my brothers in arms are on the battlefield and my commander's on the battlefield and they don't have the opportunity to spend time with their family. I'll not do it till the war's over. I am going to go back and I won't feel right about it if I do. David says, man, we got a problem. Now, normally for a king, it would be a great thing to have a soldier so dedicated. David should have pinned a medal on Uriah. Here's a soldier of David so dedicated, he won't even go home and spend the night with his wife. But that worries David. So David has to come up with plan B. And then David said to Uriah, verse 12, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And when David called him, he ate and drank before him... And he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. Well, David has trans... He, he's, headed down the, he's headed down the red clay hill road. He started out with lust. He went to adultery. He went to lying and deception. And now he's gone to drunkenness. He thinks, well, you know, you rise sober... He, he won't go down. But you, you, you get him a little drunk. Let's get a little alcohol in him. That'll loosen him up a little bit. And so he brings Uriah in, and he gets him drunk. And he thinks he'll surely go home tonight. Well, my goodness, Uriah is a better man drunk than David is sober. Uriah is drunk as a skunk. He gets him drunk. And what does he do? 
He goes outside the palace and he still doesn't go home. He goes to sleep at the door of the palace. Now David is really in a mess. Remember, he's on that, he, he's on that clay hill. He's on that slippery slope. I mean, it all, David didn't intend all this. He just saw a beautiful woman. He just had a little lustful thought. And then all of a sudden, now he's got a pregnant woman. And, and now all of a sudden, he's got a soldier who won't cooperate. He's too dedicated. He's too faithful. He's too loyal. And David's like, what am I going to do? This is about to blow up in my face. I have got to do something. Well, remember, he's on the slippery slope. What does he do? Verse 14, In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. And Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war. And he charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises, and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abelech the son of Jerabish? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of a millstone at him from the wall so that he died in Thebaz? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field, and we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. But the archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. David has gone from lust to adultery to lying and deception to drunkenness, finally to murder. He's finally at murder. He's killed Uriah the Hittite and he's done it through the hands of his enemy. And that very last verse, verse number 27, it's interesting that in all of chapter 11 there's no mention of God. God's name is not mentioned at all in all of chapter 11 until the very last verse. In the very last verse, it says, But the thing which David did displeased the Lord. You've heard me say, and no doubt heard others say, that if you please the Lord, it doesn't matter whom you displease. And if you displease the Lord, it really doesn't matter who you please. And David hears the king, and he's done something which has displeased the Lord. And for most of all of chapter 11, God is nowhere to be seen. And you know, sometimes people think that they're lost in the crowd. You know, there's something comforting sometimes about being in a real big city among a lot of people. Just, have you ever been, anybody ever been to New York City, all those people? You know, or some huge city, or even Atlanta? You know, one thing, I mean, you could have millions of people, but nobody knows you. And you kind of feel like, well, 
you know, I'm, I'm just kind of lost in the crowd. You know, I, I, I'm really, nobody knows me. You don't feel under any pressure because nobody expects anything out of you. You're just another face walking by. And some people feel that way about God. They think, you know, I'm just, I'm just going about my life doing what I please and I don't think God really sees me right now. He doesn't really care what I'm doing. I'm not bothering anybody. I'm not, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just doing my own little thing. God, He's up there. He's got a universe to run. You know, He's checking on folks, but, but I'm just kind of below the radar. You know, I'm just, I'm just going to kind of stay below the radar, and, and if God will stay off my case, I'll stay off His case. He won't mess with me. You know, they think God's like the substitute teacher. We used to have these substitute teachers that would come in and say, if you kids are nice to me, I'll be nice to you. But if you're mean to me, the wrath of God's coming on you folks. I'm going to be mean to you. What if some folks see God that way? Say, I'll just be nice to God. I'll go to church occasionally, and I'll just be nice to God, and He'll be nice to me. My friend, the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, wherever I am, wherever, whatever I'm doing, God is watching. God knows what we're doing. He knows not only what we are doing, but He knows the motivations of our heart. He knows where we are in our mind and in our spirit. He knows what our motives are and our motivations are. And that God knew what David was doing. And this thing that David did displeased the Lord. And I think this next passage here in chapter 12 is one of the most amazing parables in the Bible. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to see our own sin. It really is. It is for all of us. We're all guilty of that. Me, you, all of us. Because we look at ourselves and we think, well, you know, I've got some problems, I know, yeah. But it's really not that bad. I mean, when I look over here at this guy over here, I mean, good Lord, I see why they made a hell now. No wonder. I mean, look at this guy. But really, me, I mean, I'm really a good-hearted guy. Somebody sent me a, uh, a, a, a memory sheet uh, some time ago, and I, I had read it a couple of years ago, and I kind of pulled it back out and was rereading it, and it was from one of my distant cousins. Actually, uh, her father was my great uncle, not to bore you with all the details, but she talked about growing up in the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s in the Axon community and went to church over there at Mount Zion where I grew up. Uh, and she mentioned, mentioned about a guy who was basically the town drunk, you know, in Axon, and uh, he was just known. This was before you had access to drugs. All you could do if you, you know, was depressed was get drunk, and that's what this guy did every day. You know, he got drunk every day, and, and everybody knew that. And uh, she would talk about, he'd come up and he'd say, talk to her mother. He'd say, hey, he said, uh, I'd like to talk to you. And she'd, he'd call her name, her name was Lonnie, and said uh, she'd come out on the porch. And he'd come up on the porch and he'd sit and talk. And, you know, she'd talk to him about whatever he wanted to talk about. And then he'd go home and she said, mama, isn't that so-and-so? He said, well, yeah. She said, well, everybody says he's, the, he's a drunk. Well, yeah, but he has a good heart. He has a good heart. You know, I can just hear, I can remember hearing that. A lot of older folks would say about somebody, well, you know, he, he, he does this, he does that, but he's got a good heart. He, you know, he, he means well, he means well, he's just, he's just got a problem. And I think that's how we see ourselves. We've got the little problem, but, but, but I, I've got a good heart, but I mean well. I'm a good person. I'm a good, and no doubt David, I mean, you and I are looking at this and we can't believe it. 
I mean, if you were reading this for the first time, I know all of you here have heard this story before, but if you were reading it for the first time, you'd say, say it ain't so. Not David. Not the young shepherd boy that killed Goliath. Not the one that cut off the, the, cut off the coat of Saul's uh, jacket and refused to strike down God's anointed king. And, and, and not, not this guy. Not David. Not my hero. Surely not. Not David. He didn't do this. No way, I'm reading it wrong. Tear the page out, throw it away. I don't want to read it. Don't read me anymore. I can't stand it. I can't take it. Not David. No doubt David didn't see himself that way. David's thinking, well, you know, I send people to die all the time. I've sent many men to their death. You remember when he wanted to build the temple for God? Remember what God told him? You're a man of war. And I don't want you to build my temple, David. You're not going to build my temple. You know, I've read and no doubt you have when people are in combat and people see death over and over, even people in the medical field. You see death over and over again. You know, your human reaction, you have to harden yourself to that. If you don't harden yourself to it, then you can't take it. It's too much. I remember, I love to read historical narratives and I remember reading a... Uh, a, a book uh, that a guy that was a veteran of the Civil War, he mentioned the first time he saw a dead man in the Civil War that he got sick and he threw up. He said, my first time I ever saw a man laying dead, I, I, could, I, I just I threw up, I got sick, I couldn't, I couldn't take it. He, he talked about by the end of the war, he said, I didn't look upon a dead man as any more than a dead hog or a dead cow. I'd step right over him, step on. It, it made no difference to me. I had seen it so much until I'd become hardened. And you and I have lived with ourselves, most of us, for so long, we are hardened to our own sins. We, we don't see that we're sinners. We're, you know, we, we see that I don't really do anything wrong. And, and David had to have a wake-up call. And God sends Nathan, the prophet, to David. And you know what really touched David's heart? Remember David's background? What did David do in his teenage years? How, what did he grow up doing? Taking care of sheep. Taking care of sheep. David was a shepherd. And no doubt, David being a shepherd, David had had a pet lamb before. He'd probably picked out a lamb and had that pet lamb and, and loved him like his own. By the way, in this story that we're about to read, you know how some folks just have you know, dogs and cats and, and, and they're just like a child. You know, that's not, a, that's not a new phenomenon. That's been going on. Even in this story, Nathan talks about a, a family that had a little pet lamb and they treated it just like their daughter, ate at the table with them. Let's, well, let me read the story. Uh, act, uh, for 2 Samuel chapter 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. Can you see that little lamb? I mean, some of you's getting sick already, but some of you, you, you say, I got a cat like that. You know, I got a puppy like that. You know, you're feeding it from the table, letting him drink out of your cup. Quit doing that. You say, well, Brother William, it's biblical. It's biblical. You got a Bible verse now for all you folks that do that. It sleeps with you at night. And, and, and Nathan's saying, you got the rich man. He's got, he's got thousands of, of sheep and lamb just covered. The, the, his flocks are covered with them. And you got a little poor man. 
He got one little lamb, and it's a pet lamb. And it sleeps with him at night. He feeds it out of his cup. He feeds him from his table. It grows up with his kids. Children play with it. It's, it's their pet. It's their favorite pet lamb. And then he says, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. You get mad yet? I mean, can you imagine that? You got this pet little lamb. And this man has a pet lamb. He says his rich neighbor has a visitor and he's got to, he's got to have a meal for the visitor. And he, he doesn't take one of his many lambs that he could take, but he takes the poor man's lamb. Comes and gets it out of the house and kills the lamb and cooks it. Cooks that lamb for his neighbor. Now you can imagine David. David was a former shepherd. The Bible says in verse number 5, So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives. Can't you imagine David's voice shaking? As the Lord lives. I bet David is so mad he can't see straight. I mean, his, his voice is shaking, his face is red. And here's a man that just ordered a man to his death. But he can't see his own sin, remember? He's blind to his own sin. But he sees this man's arrogance and this man's selfishness and this man's sin. And he's so mad he can't stand it. And he says to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. Now, by the way, in the Old Testament law, there was a punishment for stealing other people's uh, property. If you stole somebody's lamb or you stole somebody's sheep or somebody's cow, it wasn't death. You had to pay restitution. You had to pay that person back for what you had stolen from them. But David, he ups the ante. He's so angry, his emotion is so worked up, he forgets about restitution. He says, oh, we're past restitution. That's not going to work. No, he's going to die. He's, whoever did this is going to die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. One of the reasons this is such, although a tragic story, a beautiful story, is this is a perfect example of how God deals with sinners. The first thing that has to happen to you and I before we can leave our sin behind is we have to be able to see the darkness of our sin. We've got to be able to see the wickedness of our sin. As long as we think, well, I, I've not done anything wrong, we're not going to repent. And see, David, Nathan could have went in there and wagged his finger at him and said, why did you take that man's wife? Why did you send that man to die? David would have no doubt got defensive and said, well, you know, maybe he would have lashed out at Nathan. He wouldn't have been able to see. But when Nathan told the story that God placed in his heart about the little lamb and the little pet lamb and the rich man, and we know the comparisons. David is the rich man. Uriah is the poor man. The little ewe lamb is his wife Bathsheba. And David, as that rich man, has all these women to choose from, but he won't have any of them. He wants Bathsheba. And he goes and he steals Uriah's wife. And if that's not enough, he, he kills Uriah by the sword. And, and David still doesn't see it. But he's angry at this man. He sees what this man has done. And then there's that famous passage, verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the man, David. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. 
I appointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? And to do evil in his sight, you have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. If David's face was red with anger just a few seconds before, no doubt by the time, by the time Nathan had caught his breath and finished making that statement, David's face had turned ashen white. He realizes all that anger and that righteous indignation that he had built up against this rich man who had stolen and killed this little lamb all of a sudden was now directed back at him. He was the rich man. He was the selfish person. He was the arrogant one who had taken that one little precious lamb that his poor neighbor had with no pity for anyone but his own desires and his own selfishness. The moment that must have been when David suddenly came to a, a, a moment as the prodigal son when he came to himself. And that's what a sinner has to do. That's what conviction is all about. It is about God opening our eyes to what we are doing. Like David, we are blinded. And we don't see what we're doing is wrong, but yet pray that God will send a Nathan. That God will send someone in your path to open your eyes and say, listen, what I'm doing is wicked and evil and wrong. And when David saw that, in the clarity of the despicable thing that he had done, suddenly David's heart was broken. But of course, Nathan goes on before David repents. David is shown what the consequences of his sin are going to be. Remember, he's on that slippery slope. He's tried to hit the brakes, but he's just got to go in faster. He's went, you know, from lust to adultery to lying to drunkenness to murder. He's in the ditch. And now, now Nathan says, David, it's going to cost you a lot to get pulled out of this ditch. It's going to cost you a lot to get back on the road. He says to David, He says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And Nathan said, and David said to Nathan, I have sinned before the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. David is now faced with the consequences of his sin. You know, you've heard me say before that sin will always take us further than we want to go keep us longer than we want to stay, and cost us more than we can afford to pay. David is told that the consequences for his sin will be continual turmoil in his home. We're going to see that as we go through the life of David as this begins to transpire. Remember, in the Old Testament, these are physical pictures of spiritual realities. 
And all these things are going to happen physically in David's life as a picture of the spiritual consequences of our sin. And that is exactly what is going to happen. This beautiful young child that was born to David and Bathsheba, this child is going to die. And you know, we don't have time to go into all that, but we know that David weeps and he prays and he mourns for the child and he refuses to, he refuses to, to eat, he fasts. And then the child dies. And there is that poignant story where the servants are afraid to tell David because he won't pay them any attention when they go try to feed him something or tell him to, you know, that he needs to rest. He just ignores them. And then when the child dies, they say, you know, who's going to tell him? I, he may harm himself. I mean, I don't, we can't tell him because he, he, he's in such a state with the child's sick. What if we if pretend the child's dead? Who knows what he'll do? And David, you remember, he sees them talking. And he figures what has happened. And he asks him, he said, is the child dead? He said, yes, the child is dead. And you know, David does an amazing thing in that passage. The Bible says he gets up and he washes his face. He takes a bath. He puts on new clothes. And he sits down to eat. And the servants say, we don't understand it. When the child was sick, you... You wouldn't eat. But now that the child is dead, you wash your face and you eat. And you know, David makes this famous statement. He said, well, as long as the child was alive, I knew there was hope. Maybe God would change his mind. I would pray. Maybe God would let the child live. But now that the child is dead, he will not come back to me, but I will go to him. Now, we don't have time to get into it this morning. I hate to leave you here, but I'm going to save the rest of this sermon for next, the next time I'm with you. Uh, next, the next Sunday we get together and, and we continue this, this study. And that is how to repent. Because Psalm 51 is a wonderful chapter that David wrote immediately after Nathan came to him and gave him and, and he saw his sin. That's when he wrote the 51st Psalm. Your homework. I'm going to get school has started back, right? You know, so I'm going to give everybody homework. Go home and read Psalm 51. And you'll notice in the introduction to Psalm 51, it says the psalm that David wrote when Nathan came to him and gave him the accusation that he had, had sinned before the Lord. David wrote Psalm 51. Remember I said last week that the only difference between David and Saul is David knew how to repent. Saul did not. David did things just as terrible as Saul did. The difference was that David had a repentant heart. My friend, that is the key. That is the key to, to having a relationship with God. It's not what have I done. We're all sinners. Everybody is a sinner. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not what I've done. It's what are you going to do about what you did. I don't know if that's right English. I probably messed up some conjunctions there. But what are you going to do about that sin? What are you going to do about it? You can either gloss it over and say, I'm not that bad. You know, it's not anybody's business. Or... You can do like David and say, I have sinned. I have sinned. And David accepted full responsibility. We'll go into it uh, next Sunday. But David accepted full responsibility. He embraced what he had did. He said, I alone have sinned. Not, not anybody. It's not Bathsheba's fault for taking a bath on top of the house. It's my fault. I sinned. I bear full responsibility. And David took that responsibility and God forgave him. And brought him back. So as our musicians come this morning and prepare him of invitation, the message to you is, you know, if God has spoken to your heart, we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. 
And God offers free pardon and free forgiveness. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you've committed your life to Him, I encourage you to do that this morning. To come and to say, Lord Jesus, I give myself, I surrender myself to You. I want to follow You. Maybe you've got a burden on your heart, something you want to pray about, or you want me to pray with you. You just obey the Lord as we stand and sing hymn number.